So well, the first time we went to Willow Creek, when you guys took me to Willow Creek, like, I'd only been coming here for like maybe five or six months. And uh, it's this huge auditorium, 8,000 people in the, in, in the seats. The place is full. And admittedly, I was a bit cynical about it. You know, I, was, I thought to myself, this is going to be weird. You know, I'm not going to be comfortable. I didn't, wanna, I didn't think I'd want to sing out loud or part, you know, participate in any way. And the David Crowder band comes out. And Steve thing leaves over and he goes, this guy's really cool. Watch this. I think I said his beard was cool. He might have said his beard was cool. He does have a cool he beard. He does have a super cool <laughs> beard. He's a super cool beard. <laughs> He's a weird looking guy. But he's a great, you know, great singer. And so he starts singing the song, uh, Here's Our King. And I'm thinking maybe two or three sentences into it, I was bawling. I was crying yeah. my eyes out. And, and, and I was overcome by what was going on around me. I couldn't believe it. I had never been moved like that in church before. I had never been overcome like that in a situation where it was a joyful right. overcome. I wasn't sad. And anyway, I, was, I, was, I was swept up in this moment. I was singing this song. And it really transformed what I wanted to do with my life, what I wanted to do professionally, yeah. you know, and, um, and how I wanted to participate here at church and stuff like that. And so that was an experience for me that was really transformative, uh, you know, on, on so many levels and I just totally wasn't expecting it so that was you know would you say that was maybe your most profound worship experience absolutely yeah what, what about you guys if you guys have is there a moment or a time or a story where you just can think of there's this place that, that uh, it's a church in Texas that my sister used to go to uh, it's a church called Bentry Bible we know people who, who, who work there but every time I step foot in that place and they, the, that fully engaged giant congregation starts singing, I completely lose it. I'm just crying the whole time. And I'm like blubbering and trying to sing. But there's something about all those people so engaged. And, and it, it's, yeah, it's an amazing experience. Every time I go there, it's like Pavlovian now. I, I step foot in the place. And I'm like, <laughs> I love God. <laughs> yeah. They suggested counseling for you. <laughs> they did, right? they yeah. did. And in he's fact, here, they, they have a restraining order against yeah. me now. I, I can't go <laughs> there anymore. He's in the parking lot. This guy talking to his collar. He's here again. He's here again. <laughs> What's your most profound worship experience? This is it right here. <laughs> this, is, this is it. It's yeah. happening. You're watching it. You're watching it take place as we speak. That's why I'm no, crying. You know, you know what? I, I have a couple things. Uh, I experience God. I encounter God through great art. And um, I, I become like a blubbering baby when that happens. And it's, I, I wish that I could see it coming so I could, you know, put the sunglasses on or, or something. But it could be in a film and, the, you know, it's just that scene when it all comes together and the score just oh. soars and the strings come in and I'm, ah, and it could be, a, a, you know, it could be a Broadway show. It could be, I mean, any number of things, just creativity. Um, you know, to me, I, I just, I see it through the lens of, of God is is the creator of all those things. And no matter who actually wrote the notes or whatever, you know, God still created the medium. Well, if you think about it, I, I think that worship, at least at its best, is is the telling of God's story. Right. It's it's proclaiming God's story. And I think our world is full of all sorts of other stories. Mm-hmm. Um, stories that that don't lead very to, to very good places. Right. And so when we get together on Sunday, that's what we're doing. We're telling God's story in our lives. Right. You're just reminding yourself of what, of what God's story really is. I think setting aside a specific time to worship, it's a sacrifice. It's time, you know, saying, like, this isn't going to be about me. This is going to be about yeah. God. You're yeah. bigger than me. And that it's, like the name says, it's worship. When we come together mm. on Sunday mornings, for example, I, I think that we're coming together. There's a vertical aspect to what we do. That, that it, it really is just, you know, that there's businesses between me and God. Mm. It's between you and God. It's between mm-hmm. you and God. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's also between all of us. Mm-hmm. And there's a horizontal aspect to it where we are a community. And we're a community of faith. It's there mm-hmm. together. And there's power in that. Where my head goes is 
sort of a, a conscious bearing of my soul to God. Mm. Like it's trying to strip everything down and be as vulnerable as possible, be as open as possible, and be as uh, uh, humbled before God as possible, mm-hmm. and to really mm-hmm. connect with that. Mm-hmm. And for me, the, the, personally, there's something about singing that allows me to do that. But let's get practical here. We start a service on Sunday morning, and we... We ask people to stand up and we ask them to sing yeah. mm-hmm. in public. Yeah. And, and where else do we sing in public? In, in and where, where people are sort of demanding. Yeah. Well, uh, the seventh that, inning stretch. Let's go mental. You yeah. know, Derek, yeah. G, yeah. you know, you, you want to be, you'd be an idiot and scream all day right. long. Right. Yeah. You come to church and you're like, Jesus. Mm-hmm. Our passions for our teams, we're so willing to wear that on our sleeve, right? You know, who, who we root for. Yeah. I'm an idiot for the Mets and what kind of moron must I be, right? But, but, you know, this, this transformation in me has been, made it a lot easier for me to, to, to profess my faith to people publicly. Yeah, yeah. You know, in our business, you know, as actors, yeah. it's not always cool sometimes. Well, and that's yeah. exactly what we're doing, though, is yeah. we're getting up on Sunday morning and we are, we're putting God in our sleep. Yeah, yeah. You know? yeah. exactly. Yeah. Exactly what we're doing. Yeah. But, you know, I mean, people come in and they go, well, I don't want to sing in public. And, right. and then, hey, you know, uh, I, I, I'm thinking that worship. What you're what you're telling me is that I'm supposed to be uh, vulnerable and right. and and submissive to God. Well, that's that's weak. I don't mm-hmm. like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, you know. Yeah. I mean, I don't think people want to do that. I mean, you not know, in our world. It's funny. My my, grand, my, my wife's grandmother used to go to church all the time, and she would sing out loud in church and screechy. She had this she had this, this old Irish voice. Like Jesus, it was it was, it was horrible, and she knew it. She didn't My care. Yeah. She did not care. Like, she'd be screaming. We'd be, we'd be impossible to laugh. She'd be like Jesus, I'm God. You know, like Graham, come on. <laughs> and it was hilarious. But she meant it. She went every morning, yeah. every single morning to church, and she sang and she sang out loud. You know, and she, you know there was no there was no vulnerability for her. She was just like this. This is my faith. This is what I'm doing it every day. Yeah. You know, yeah. and um. So what do you see as like the biggest impediment or the fact that we've asked people to come in there and stand up and sing and, and wear God on their sleeve? Like, Well, I think a lot of it's cultural. I think that um, we, especially at Renaissance, we all come from so many different backgrounds. Some of us have never been in church before ever, um, right. ranging to uh, you know, various denominations, mm-hmm. uh, uh, Catholic, Lutheran, Presbyterian, right. sure. and, uh, you know, and the like. And everybody's got different traditions, and, and so the music is different, the order of service is different, the, the culture, the way we dress, everything's a little different. And, and so there is a sense that I think that people have um, a hard time embracing things that are new. Yeah. But I, I do think that um, it's very countercultural in, in many ways, what we're asking people to do. And yet that is the message of, of Christ as well. Those barriers, you know, what the, the obstacles that we have to worship. And uh, I loved what they were saying about that. For me, the first time I went to church, it was just kind of like going to a foreign country. You know, I, I grew up in a family where we didn't go to church. And so the first time I set foot in a church, they were speaking English, but I wasn't sure what in the world they were talking about. And so I was totally confused. I mean, put yourself in the situation. Some of you have been in this kind of a situation. Others of you grew up in, in, in a church on a regular basis. But for me, I see this guy standing up there on the platform or the stage or whatever you call it, because I didn't know what it was called at that point. And he's wearing a long black dress. 
you know, and he's speaking in a monotone voice, kind of like, you know, this majestic voice of God kind of thing. And he's barking out these orders. And all of a sudden he says something and everybody reaches down, grabs this book in front of him, stands up, flips through it and starts singing a song. And I'm like, he didn't say a page number. I have no clue where we are, you know? And the next thing, you know, he's like, John 316, hike, you know, and they're like, where's the handoff? And then they, they swap books, they swap books, they pull out another one, and then they start reciting in Shakespearean English, and again, no page number. So, you know, I was just about finding the page from the first book when they're in the second book, and I have no clue what's going on. You know, so for me, I, I left that sort of thinking, well, worship is about, you know, I don't know what it's about. It's Shakespearean English and songs that were written in the second century, you know, AD. And, you know, what, what is going on here? It, it, it was just, it was completely foreign to me. And I, I had no clue what worship was about. So, you know, we've got to ask ourselves the question, what is worship about? Is it about the songs that we sing and the clothes that we wear and the... Stand up, sit down, you know, fight, fight, fight. You know, what's it about? You know, there's a great passage in the New Testament in, in a book written by my favorite author, uh, John, who was Jesus' best friend. If you've been here at Renaissance for any length of time, I've probably said it about 500 times. I love the Gospel of John, this biography that Jesus' best friend wrote about him. And uh, John records an incident that happened when Jesus and a bunch of his followers, including John, were traveling uh, from the Jerusalem area up north, and they were on really a three-day trip on foot. And about halfway through their trip, it's, it's about noon, and Jesus is tired and he's hungry, so he sits down by a well just outside of, uh, of a very small, hardly known town, and he sends his followers, he sends his friends into town to go buy lunch, and he's just kind of sitting there and, and resting and relaxing uh, partway through the journey. And along comes a woman, uh, and she starts to draw water from the well, and Jesus and she begin to talk, and they, they start interacting with one another. And after a few minutes, their conversation turns to worship. And I want to I pick it up uh, where, they, where they start talking about worship. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you're a prophet. Our ancestors worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Let me just stop there for a second. This woman is in an area called Samaria, so she's a Samaritan. And what that means is that she's half Jew, half Gentile, or half Jew and half non-Jew. She's kind of mixed both ethnicity but also religiously. So the Samaritans had elements of Jewish worship in their worship, but there were some differences. And uh, one of the key ones is the Samaritans thought that the physical focus of their worship ought to be Mount Gerizim, whereas the Jews said, no, the physical focus of worship would be in Jerusalem, which was about 30 miles south of where they were at that point. So Jesus replies and he says, woman, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you don't know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews." Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit 
and truth. So from this woman's perspective, worship was primarily about physical location. So for her, the question is, where do we worship? Here or 30 miles south from here? Location is the big thing for her. And that's actually true for a lot of folks today. Do I worship in this physical church building or that physical church building? You know, and some of you have, have had that experience. You walk up the stairs here, uh, you know, and you come into this auditorium and you're like, this ain't a church. I mean, there, there's drums, you know, and there's, there's LED lights and there's, you know, and all, all that sort of stuff. This, how can I worship God in this place, in this, in this physical location? For other people, worship is about standing up and sitting down at the right time or singing the right songs or reciting the right words or wearing the right clothes or all of those external things. But Jesus said, no, worship isn't about any of those things. It's about what's going on in my heart. Worship comes from our hearts. It's about what's going on inside of me, not what I'm doing on the outside. The activities, whether it's the standing up and the sitting down, the singing, the reading, uh, the clothes we wear, all those sorts of things are helpful and they can be part of our worship, but that's not worship. That's not what worship is about. Those things ought to flow from our hearts They ought to be things that help us to focus on God. And if our hearts are focused on God, those other things will come. But if we're focused on those things, then we can't be focused on the God whom we're worshiping. Several hundred years before Jesus had this encounter with the woman at the well, the prophet Isaiah wrote on God's behalf, and he said, the Lord says, these people come near to me with their mouth and they honor me with their lips but their hearts are far from me. Their worship of me is based on merely human rules they've been taught. There's nothing wrong with the activities. There's nothing wrong with what we might even call rituals. You know, There's nothing wrong with traditions. And in fact, all of those activities and traditions, and even if we want to call them rituals, all of those have a basis in what worship is really about And that's a basis in having a heart for God and looking to him and seeing him as God and myself as not and and seeing his greatness and his majesty and his power. But if we become distracted from him by all those things, then we're not really worshiping. If my heart is empty, so is my worship. I may be going through the right motions, but I'm not worshiping God. So whether I'm smiling or crying, whether I'm clapping my hands or they're in my pockets, whether I'm singing or whether I'm silent, if my heart is not in it, then I'm not worshiping. I can worship without my mouth. I can worship without my hands, but I can't worship without my heart. My heart needs to be focused on the God whom I'm worshiping, not on the activities that I'm doing or not doing. And while worship comes from our hearts, 
doesn't necessarily mean that we can just be spectators who are, are just passively observing and, and, and taking it all in. And so, so the next question I want us to look at is, what does worship look like? So then once they're in the seats, is it okay for them to just be spectators? It depends what you mean by spectators. Yeah, just, I mean, just, just, just sitting back going, wow, look at this awesome band. Well, because what is, to me, that, that kind of big, brings up the question, what does worship look like? Yeah. Is that kind of what That's you're saying? That's exactly what I mean. So what does exactly. worship look like? Yeah. It has to be authentic. It has to be, you know, and if you are the kind of person who sits quietly and listens to music but takes it in and, yeah. you know, I, we've all sat in an audience somewhere and, and a song has brought us to tears. The way you react to that could be that you sit and quietly listen yeah. and you contemplate. Yeah. Um, the other way could be equally as authentic as, you know, hands in the air. Yeah, jumping to your feet. Yeah. yeah. You know, if you are thinking about what you're doing and consciously like, say, I'm not going to do this, then you've taken yourself out of that worship moment and you're back into the whole, I'm not going to be uncool. Right, so. right. But it's a purposefulness, though. Like, it's not just seeing a great band. There has to be some sort of response to it, almost no matter what. Well, right? I think that's the key. I mean, I, I mean, I can tell you that, you know, as I've visited other churches sure. and been in the seats, there have been times where I'm fully engaged in worship and I'm quiet as a mouse. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do think that there is something about a response. And I also think that there is something about singing. Singing yeah. is just this unique yeah. gift that God has given us. Yeah. And, and, you know, the Bible doesn't say anything about good singing, singing well. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, that's right. but, yeah. but there is something transcendent about it. Don't yeah, you think so, it, it without kind of, a doubt. it's like your words get outside of yourself? Yeah. And, and they, yeah. you know. our, our history has been, uh, as, a, as, as a species, been passed down through music more than anything else. Right. You know, in, in cultures around the world. You, you, can, you can watch TV, right? Mm-hmm. And you can be in front of a television and be completely disconnected. Mm-hmm. So you could, you could, in theory, do the same thing here. You could come and sort of right. be mildly entertained. Uh, it could be different than sitting in front of your TV on a Sunday morning. Right. To be worshipful, even silently, there right. has to be uh, an engagement, yes. uh, uh, something going on, right? So, I think it's dangerous, you know, like you and I, we get to, we're up front. Absolutely. And we, we see everyone, which, which camera is on? Yeah. We see you. <laughs> You're looking at We you. see what you look like. Uh, and they notice if you sit in the front row. Yes. We, we notice <laughs> if you sing or not. We, uh, you know, you know we, we see all sorts of different different things. People with their arms crossed and yeah. people who are, who, who are singing uh, with, you know, wild abandon, yeah. their eyes closed yeah. and maybe some hands up. Yeah. And, and I think it's dangerous to start thinking that we know what's going on inside of each one of those people right. because we don't really know. Yeah. And, and, and I think that there could be an authentic, honest response in any of those people right. that's going on. Mm-hmm. But, but that said, I, I do think that God is calling us outside of ourselves. Yeah. And so sometimes it's going to look a little different. But if you're the one who, who wants to be quiet mm-hmm. all the time, mm-hmm. right. you know, I'd challenge you to take a step, right. sing one song. Yeah. You know, singing is something in which we use to mark important occasions, right. yeah. mm-hmm. um, special things. And, yeah. and, I, and I think that you know, there is no more important occasion than when we come together Absolutely. to worship. I think this brings up a really interesting point. Does worship have to end in tears? No. Because <laughs> I mean, because all of our, like, big experiences have been, have been these, like, big, like... But, but again, these are, these, these, are all tears, these are all tears of joy. I think we spend so much time in our lives not feeling things yeah. and not allowing ourselves to, to, to participate, even with each other and engage each yeah. other on a, on a personal level. And, and I think, I think we, 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 we hold ourselves so guardedly, yeah. you know, especially as people in the United States, as people in New York City, yeah. as essentially New York City. We spend so much time guarding those emotions that when they come out, yeah. 
you know, they, they usually, it usually manifests itself in tears because it's, it's just such a, a release yeah. of, of, of all. Well, I think, yeah, I think the issue is being all in. Yeah. yeah. And, and, you know, the Bible says to, to love, uh, love the Lord with all your heart, right. mind, soul, and strength. Right. And, and whatever that looks like, for yeah. me, it's probably ends in tears. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. But uh, it could be just being speechless. Yeah. Right. You know, it could be a lot of different things. Yeah. You'd want it to be, you want it to end in joy, a joyful expression. You know, but I, th- I think even, even in those moments, yeah, <laughs> it, it, it turns to tears. Well, but then, but then, so like, is there a barometer to what is worship? You know, it, does it, tears? Okay, so we, we, we've established it doesn't have to be tears, right? right. But but so what, what's the end product? You know, I think it's just those moments. You know, whether it's through creativity or prayer or through song or whatever it might be, that we we just fully realize that we are not God, yeah. <laughs> and that yeah. He is something other, yeah, and, yeah. and, and that. Uh, you know, there is definitely a sense of falling down on our faces in yeah, worship right, and, right. and submitting ourselves to right. Him, and, and that's a, it's a, uh, it's a powerful, powerful thing. You know, whether whether our response to God is visible or whether only we and and He uh, can see what's going on, worship is not passive; it's active. You know, it's we don't just uh, observe. We participate. We're not simply spectators. We are responders. We are people whose hearts are drawn to God and who are affected by the fact that our hearts are drawn to God. One, uh, probably Israel's greatest king in the, uh, in the Old Testament was a, a guy named King David. And God said of King David, you are a man after my heart. You're a man who has a heart for me. And David, with that heart for God, wrote dozens of psalms. Much of the book of psalms that we have was written by David, and he wrote psalms of praise, telling how great God is. He wrote psalms of lament, where he was still worshiping God, but he's saying, God, what's going on here? Why is the world falling apart around me? He's still worshiping God as he, as he does that. He wrote psalms of joy and, and psalms of sorrow, but in all of those, he's worshiping God. And in Psalm 63, he writes, David says, you, God, are my God. Earnestly I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you in a dry and parched land where there is no water. I've seen you in the sanctuary. I've beheld your power and your glory. Because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. I will praise you as long as I live, and in your name I will lift up my hands. I will be fully satisfied as with the richest of foods. With singing lips, my mouth will praise you. David had this heart for God, so much so that he uses language where where he essentially says, you know what, I thirst for you the way that a man who is, is walking through a dry desert thirsts for water. That's how much my heart is inclined towards yours. And, and David's heart led him to an outward response. Several different ones he just mentions here in these first few verses of Psalm 63. He says, my lips are going to praise you. With, with his mouth, with his words, he just spoke praise about how great God was. And he lifted his hands in worship. That was part of their culture. Lifting their hands in, in worship of God. He sang songs to praise God. Again, all part of his worship. So David's heart led to active worship. 
And we can sing, we can cry, we can speak, we can lift our hands, we can clap our hands, we can even, we can even here in Jersey pump our fists, you know, as part of our worship of God, you know. In, in the Old Testament, people fell on their faces. I mean, we don't normally do that here, but people fell on their faces because they were so overwhelmed with God's grace, with God's grace and his greatness and his power. Other people, we were talking about, some of us were talking about this the other night. There are places where people just kind of like bounce up and down as they're praising God. I mean, we're kind of like, that's a little weird, but you know what? That's a manifestation of their heart for God. But then there are folks who just are not as expressive. They're not going to be bouncing. They're not going to be clapping. They may not even be singing all the time. But that's okay if our hearts are inclined toward God. One of the psalmists writes, he says, on God's behalf, be still and know that I am God. Sometimes the the greatest response, the most appropriate response that we can have to the awesomeness and the majesty and the holiness and the greatness of God is simply to shut our mouths and say nothing. Because what can we say when we're in the presence of that kind of greatness? Sometimes we'll sing God's praise, but other times we just fall on our faces and have absolutely nothing to say because we don't have the words to express it. And that's okay too. The issue is not what does it look like, not whether other people can see it. The, the, the issue is what's going on in my heart and am I responding to what God is doing in my heart? So what do I do if my heart's not in it? What, if, what do I do if I am just totally unmoved by God, by the music, by Bible verses that we're reading. Don't fake it. Don't sing. Don't clap. Don't stand. Don't, you know, don't do whatever in order to be seen by other people so that the person next to you will say, well, wow, she's really worshiping God. That's not authenticity. That's hypocrisy. And God hates that. Don't try to impress God because he knows what your heart is like. Okay. You, (laughs) You can't impress him. He knows what's going on in your heart. Don't fake it. Maybe what you just need to do is be silent and say, God, my heart is cold. I, I'm not moved. So please melt, melt my heart, melt my cold heart, warm it up, and let me see you the way you are. Work in my heart. Or maybe you'll actually want to sing, not in order to be seen and not in order to impress God, but because music can move your heart. Through hearing the music, through singing the words, God sometimes works in a mysterious and powerful way and inclines our heart to him so that as we begin singing, our hearts begin meaning what we're saying. You've got to be careful not to fake it, but sometimes God can use that music to incline our hearts to him. Worship comes from the heart, and that's what God is looking for. In a minute, we're going to have an opportunity to sing a couple more songs. But as the band's coming up, I want us to take a minute now and pray. And then after I pray for us, I just want us to be silent and incline our hearts to God and prepare our hearts for the next couple of songs that we're going to sing. Father, you are an awesome God. 
a God who created us, a God who is majestic and powerful, a God who cares about what's going on in our lives, a God who loves us, a God who is gracious, a God who is forgiving. And Father, I pray that as we, as we see these things about you, you would incline our hearts toward you. I pray that you would give us a desire to be with you and to praise you and to worship you. And I pray that you would move in our hearts and work powerfully in our lives.